Welcome to another episode of On the Line. My name is Christina Kay. And I'm Joe Mullings. And we are going to talk about the $50 word that everybody tosses around these days in industry is company culture. And that's been beat up a bunch of times. And you and I both have our own definitions of company culture and we find it from different places. So I'd be interested in your thoughts on that. company culture means really figuring out what's this company's story as quickly as possible because we want to develop marketing materials for them. So uh, when I think about company culture, I think about um, how would any person sitting at their desk go home and relay the experience of working there to their loved ones? I think about how would they tell the story of their job to other people? And, you know, there's different ways to do that. Obviously, there's like specific visual signifiers like, do these people have cubicles or is it an open floor plan? You know, where does the CEO sit? I think I look at that really quickly. Like how how accessible or visible is the CEO? Um, you know, uh, how many people are, are uh, noticing that there's a new person in the room? I think that's actually kind of important. I think that uh, it's one thing to be locked in on your screen and there's another thing to be oblivious or or maybe siloed you know and I think that that having an environment where when new information enters the room you're encouraged to uh to interact with it and engage with it in any kind of way even if it's a total stranger you know that says a lot about a culture I think too uh so there there are some immediate signifiers and then from what I parse through I'll figure out you know, how do we tell the story of this, of this company? Mm -hmm. I'm sure it's pretty different for, for hiring. Yeah. From hiring, it's different. And I think we should revisit it, not for today, but there's, I read two articles this weekend about culture and how the cubicle farm and the open floor plan, um, have actually turned around on each other. So a lot of culture has been driven towards these open floor plans, mm -hmm. but there's an enormous pushback on it these days. Yeah. Um, wanting back to more privacy and a little more peace in order to do your work. But that's, um, it's interesting because we've been in companies that you pointed out, they're either cubicle farms or open format. And I haven't seen a correlation to good or bad culture on that. No. Um, or even it's interesting because that gets pushed down from the top. Mm -hmm. And it, and I think in a lot of leadership in particular, that subject Somebody read a book somewhere, but never experienced it. So that always concerns me is mm -hmm. when, when leadership says, oh, we need to have an open floor, floor plan. Why? Because Google does. Well, Google does a lot of things and the open floor plan just is an association, not a causation for who they are. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's, that's subject for another day. From, from my side, when I give guidance for trying to determine culture, you always have to look at a few things. One is um, start out on LinkedIn and look at the leadership in the organization and go backwards and see where the executives first one or two jobs were. Because like a child, those first few years of existence or in your career will establish who you are. And I've seen it time and time again. I've got some good friends who currently are presidents of companies who grew up in Jack Welch's GE culture. And they really drive their organization very much like a Jack Welch GE culture. And then 
people who have come out of a Google culture earlier in the Google days. And that maps to how they drive their culture today. So that, that would be one is before you even interview with a company, if you want to get a sense, I would look at who the leadership of marketing, sales, CEO, don't worry about finance. Finance never sets culture unless it's a banking mm-hmm. company, right? Um, but I would say operations, sales, uh, CEO, uh, and uh, marketing oftentimes, you know, look at the product. Is it a highly engineered product like Apple? Then look at product development and marketing. Mm-hmm. Is it a software company like Facebook? Look at marketing communications. Engineering has very little to do with it because that gets driven back from what the market wants, not what you develop and then bring to market. Right. So understand the product flow. Are you responding to market? And then does that define your product? Or are you an ideation company that then puts out a product in the market and you don't care what the market thinks, you know the market's going to fall in love with your product. Those are two really important cultural mm-hmm. touch points. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, you were saying like this, these are not evaluations of good or bad culture. And I, and I think to some extent you can even say there is no such thing as bad culture because you could have what is maybe felt for you as a toxic mm-hmm. cultural environment and it's perfect for someone else who works well under those conditions, mm-hmm. you know, and, and really what this is all about. I mean, in, in the examples you're giving is about finding the culture that best suits you. And then in my case, it's about how to, you know, decipher what the culture is so that you can represent it truthfully and um, and in a way that they they feel comfortable with and they feel represents them, you know, when you're developing marketing or, or PR materials. Um, you know, and, and for what we do, really, I could look at... Um, LinkedIn or something like that. And, and, and I wouldn't really get the same quality of information because it's very much a felt thing. You know, we, we create empathic documents. That's what we do. We create things that ideally make people feel something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we generate it all off of, in, off of feeling. So some of this is, is really maybe not something you could teach, right? It's what do you feel when you enter into a room? And, and the reason why I brought up like the open floor plan versus the cubicle is, is not necessarily because, uh, one is better than the other, but because it'll tell you a lot about how the company at least thinks of itself and, and where they, who they think that their, their, uh, fellow players are or mm-hmm. what companies they, they are, are aligned with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I also think, uh, there's no way to replace the feeling of just being present in the environment and, and getting a sense for, uh, how people interact how open are those lines of communication? How interactive? You know, when we shoot, we're always looking for interactivity. We are always looking for that collaborative footage because you see so much of a culture when you look at how the people from different departments or even within the same department are encouraged to interact with one another. And it makes great footage and we love to capture that. And then there's sometimes we go to places and there's just so little interactivity, you know, and that's a that's a totally different kind of culture. And then there might be interactivity, but uh, it isn't as fluid or as open. And you can feel all those things when you just look around and you see how, how do people relate to one another and, and what are the, the dynamics. I know that I was just listening to this podcast about how body language is actually like a totally false science. Like there's no, there, body language means nothing and there's no way to decipher it. It's total garbage. So I'm not going to say you can read any body language. A scientist just told me you can't, but um, maybe you could get a feeling for for temperature in the room, right? Like, well, I think it's definitely a data point to check. I would just, to your point, be really careful on making an early decision. So this is the takeaway of anything from this podcast. Um, 
be careful whenever you're establishing culture not to make an early decision and then spend the rest of the time looking for evidence to justify that. Mm -hmm. So almost like a detective trying to, or at least a good detective trying to solve a crime is a really good detective won't make an early decision because just then they become biased looking for the rest of the evidence to justify that. So when you're looking at culture, gather, 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 hold, there's no reason to make an early decision. And body uh, language is a data point. Um, cubicle or not, data point. Uh, previous executive leadership experience, data point. Um, even something as silly as a foosball table, a ping pong table and free lunches, data point. Um, uh, you know, interaction. If I walked into an R&D, heavy R&D organization, there'd probably be, and I know this because I'm an engineer, very little interaction. So I, I just think, again, really be careful not to set your mind on a, on a, on a point. And then when you do start to hover in on something you think, uh, check it for pro and con on the decision you're making, try and balance it out. Uh, and then more importantly, be honest with who you are, not who you think you want to be. So I know a lot of people who want to be one way and then will go work at that company because they're dying to be that mm -hmm. way, but they get there and all of a sudden it's not the right fit. And nobody Zoomed them. The company didn't fake it. They were hoping to be something else. So I think you got to be really careful as you sort of make a choice of the culture you want to be in. And it makes sense to talk to three or four of the closest people to you that will be honest with you before you take a job and say, hey, I'm looking for this kind of culture. And then stare at the person and say, what do you think? Mm -hmm. And an honest person will tell you, um, you're crazy. Or no, I think that would be good for you. Yeah, I mean, I also think, you know, I was going to say one thing that could be helpful is to look at whatever material they have available out in the market already that reflects their culture. But I would also be really wary of that because, you know, one thing I know from making these videos with these, with corporations is that there's at least 70 cooks in the kitchen and everything is, is heavily edited and there's just a lot of note taking going around and, and what you're getting at the end, you know, we try to avoid that as much as possible, mostly in the way that we shoot things so that they're not given the option of, of omitting the, the sort of meatier integral parts, but, but a lot of marketing content does. It, it dilutes things down and waters things down and maybe delivers a skewed vision. I think you can, you can tell a lot about a company from their marketing materials by figuring out what they think they are and then just use that as a reference point mm -hmm. for what you actually experience in the room. You know, I think if you see this sort of very formal and stodgy video that's really beautifully produced and you go to the interview and it feels kind of uptight, those two things, they might be in conversation with one another. And I think whatever is available, photos, videos, articles, whatever's already in the market, try to get a sense of as many different and disparate things as possible and, and see what the through lines are and what cohesive narrative can you derive before you even show up and see maybe as a, a way to fact check yourself before you determine your own opinion well, does this opinion I'm forming now, does it correlate? Does it conflict with what I saw in the market already? And how much can I really trust that information? And then from there, try to like maybe Venn diagram all of that information yeah, to can. something you feel. And, and you nailed it. My recommendation is make a, make a quadrant. And, and if it's a publicly traded company, look at how they release their press releases. Look how, sit in on one of their earnings calls. Um, look at what Glassdoor says, right? But again, Glassdoor is is a data point because it's anonymous. So therefore there's no ownership on there. Uh, look at the executives backgrounds to your point. Most of those videos or 
pieces that are put out by organizations are so sterile and scrubbed and and um, vanilla. Um, and they're usually about a product narrative. If you really look at them, they're rarely around a hiring narrative. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, with the whole PC, politically correct stuff today, uh, companies try and to the outside world balance. Uh, you know, I'll bet you if you just right now took an inventory out in the public domain of corporate videos released in the last two years, there would be an over-indexing towards diversity that was not truly reflected in the workforce mm -hmm. inside the organization. You see it with commercials today. Mm -hmm. You see more mixed couples in commercials today than I see in all the United States, right? More women are being put. And again, it's, I understand what the intention is, but just be careful that you're getting a true sampling of all the data you look at mm -hmm. and put them in a quadrant, you know, good, bad, warm, cold, whatever it is, all your data and, and then sit back and then make a decision. Yeah. You know, we, we interview a lot of CEOs for our, our content. And we also, we tend to ask employees about the CEOs quite a bit. Cause I, you know, we found that especially if there's a really great relationship between the employees and the CEO, that those responses can be some of the most emotional ones where they get really excited to talk about those people. So I think, you know, whether if you're in interview process or if you're trying to develop marketing material, you might not have access to the CEO, but you can certainly ask the people that you do have access to about their interpretation of the CEO. Because we've said this so many times, you know, culture really comes from the top down. And I think really the very, very top sometimes. And we see this, you know, we have some clients where the CEO is, is just so great and it informs the whole room or the CEO is so unusual and eccentric and there's this great energy or the CEO is so apparent and uh, transparent and available that uh, there's this really collective mm -hmm. sensation in the room. So I think that if you could, even if you can't talk to the CEO directly or if you just shake their hand, uh, ask other people, what do you think of that guy? What's, what's he like or what's she like? How that, many times have you great. actually seen him? Right. right, because we, in fairness to the sampling you're you're pointing out, you're you're dead on accurate. We tend to work with small companies, mm -hmm. so when you're going to work in an organization that has a thousand employees, that's really challenging. So the questions you want to ask is not who do you think the CEO is. How many times have you sat in a room with him or her? Mm -hmm. uh, how many times have they been a company wide meeting? How many times has there been a um, you know a village meeting? Right, right, and so that that right there, the inaccessibility to leadership is also gives you some insight to things. It's not good or bad. It just is. So if you don't have access, um, that's telling too. When the time, when the, when's the last time they had a company wide meeting and what did you discuss? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or, or how, how close are you to the, the person who has access to the CEO? Right. You and know, minus and one, as I call it. Yeah. Uh, if you really want to go down old school, Go look to see the parking lot and see where the preferred parking is. If leadership all has parking spots up front, it may seem really um, silly, but I'm telling you, out of all the companies over my 30 years I've been in and out of, when I pull in, I look at that right away. How many guest spots are up front? You have to have the handicap by zoning, but then where is the executive's parking spots? Are they the one closest to the door versus the mindset of um, the military where leaders eat last, mm -hmm. right? And therefore you'd have the enlisted guys closest to the door, mm -hmm. right? So those are all really super telling things in relative terms that again, more data points. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, cause you kind of have a peek behind both curtains. 
Do you find that the way that we try to decipher culture for marketing is vastly different than the way you would decipher culture for interviewing? I think what we do is we try to represent the culture, whereas a headhunter, I try and decipher culture, mm-hmm. right? So I think uh, our our marketing and storytelling team um, does a really, really good job and holds themselves in a very highly responsible role to reflect what they feel it is in the company and not what your opinion of it is, but what it is. Mm-hmm. As a headhunter, what I need to do is I have, I have, uh, a fiduciary responsibility to both parties. The person who's talking to me, I have to decide if they culturally have a fit for my client. And there's, I would say, at least a third of the time, even if they're qualified, I won't present them because I know it's going to be a train wreck and there's going to be an issue. Um, so that's one. I, I, I will I will self-select out some people. Um, and the other side is I make sure I tell somebody what they're walking into because I've I interacted with leadership. And I know who the leadership is. And there's an old story is I have a CEO who throws furniture. Can you catch it? And you, if you can and you don't mind it, then that's a perfect culture for you, oh, yeah, yeah. right? So that's one of the things that's really important is I have to decipher and then match. And I have that fiduciary responsibility mm-hmm. to first. Uh, you and your team have to reflect. Right, right. And we also... Uh, we ironically get less in time, less time to engage, right? I think when you're in an interview process, you'll have several interviews, maybe a phone one first, followed by two, three, maybe more in person, and and you'll meet more and more people, and you'll have more and more time. For us, it's really like intuitive. Mm-hmm. Okay, here we are with the cameras. What is the story? Mm-hmm. Um, and even even if we had a lot of time to do pre-production for that video. You can only really determine so much when you're sitting alone with a sheet of paper writing down like a shot list. You're not there. Mm-hmm. And you're really probably not going to be there until the shoot because these people don't have a lot of time. That's why they're hiring you. Uh, you're not a part of the central focus of that company's mission. You're you're sort of uh, an appendage that's showing up. Yeah. And, and also to the individuals who are thinking about it from a career perspective, here's another peek behind the curtain that most people don't think of. The interview process is very very indicative of the care or the lack of care about people. And so how did they handle your interview process? Who called you? Again, no headhunter involved. How did they engage with you? Did they, did they ask you about your lunch? Did you have um, food allergies? Um, who followed up with you? Was there instructions sent out when you get there? Directions. Mm-hmm. Um, what to expect? What's the agenda? Who you'll be meeting in the agenda? All of that, please pay super close attention to because it's indicative of the service you'll get once you're in-house. Uh, and then how did they disengage with you? How did they set up the second interview? Were they communicative and candid or were you in a black hole for a while? Um, again, not absolute, but a really important data point. It's like when you're with somebody, sometimes what isn't said is more important than what is said. Mm -hmm. So that's another take home as you develop culture. Yeah. And I'd say that's actually also true for video. You know, what's when, when you're looking at, at the marketing content that's being put out, as I said before, it's, it's not even so much about what they included in the video. It's about all the things that that the 70 people in that email chain chose to take out, right. you know, be sensitive to those omissions. Right. 
So on the cultural side, here's your checklist. Um, before you go into the organization interviewing, um, make sure you know who you are first and make sure, you know, and audit where you've worked in the past and why you've walked away from organizations and leaders. Uh, number two is do your homework online and LinkedIn on leadership, uh, as well as other data in the marketplace. If it's publicly traded, sit in on earnings calls, there are recordings on earnings calls, look how they write their pre-R releases, what does Glassdoor say? And then go in there and then in the interview process, use that data to verify one way or another, but hold, hold an opinion because you can fall in love with one person in the interview process and set them as the culture and they might even be an outlier. Right. Or they might be interviewing with other people too. Right. Right. Which we know that happens a lot. And then see how you're handling the interview process. See how you're escorted in, escorted out, you know, offered coffee, water, engagement in between. Um, and then see how the offer is handled as well. Is it a thanks, but no thanks. This is the offer. There's no negotiation. Um, do they represent the benefits first and then the salary second? Uh, are they offering things that may or may not be important to you, but sit back and see, wow, that's really thoughtful. You have, um, a pet policy or, um, you have a uh, paid time off policy, or maybe there's no vacation policy. Like that's, it's funny because that's what we're going to be putting in here. We're not going to have a vacation policy. Take as much time off as you need. We're moving to that. Right. So, because that gives an insight as to what they think about, right. And what perhaps they value. And so those are all the checkpoints I would have as I looked at an organization and was trying to make a decision on culture. And maybe I'm speaking out of turn here, but I think it'd probably be important to know that the recruiter or headhunter you're working with, as much as you may like them, does not necessarily reflect culture. And you should probably divorce yourself of, of all the fond feelings you might have for them as they handle you through the process. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that, that's the trust factor with the headhunter, right? So the headhunter sometimes will tell you, here's what I like and here's what I don't like about the company relative to you, mm -hmm. not me personally, but you know, you mentioned to me, you don't want to travel 40% of the time. They're, adver they're advertising 30, but I know it's 55 mm -hmm. because of what I know in the past, mm -hmm. right? So you have to trust the headhunter, uh, make sure you have good experience with them. And to your point, there's great headhunters who represent crappy companies and great companies. Right. Um, and that is only a relative comment because what is somebody's crap is somebody else's love. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's a really good point is just don't fall in love or don't fall in love with a position because you love the headhunter or don't not fall in love with a position because you don't like the headhunter. Right. For sure. For sure. That's a good point. But I never have a problem with that second one. <laughs> Everybody dislikes me, but they get what they need. Culture. Right. You want to take us home? Well, this has been another episode of On the Line. My name is Christina Kay. I'm Joe Mullings, and we'll see you soon. Bye.